Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Red Zone Restricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chloe Bloxham as we reflect on the Merseyside derby draw and preview the start of Liverpool's Champions League campaign against Napoli. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So there is only one place for us to start with our brief reflections on the Merseyside derby, which obviously finished 0-0 on Saturday. We're not going to go into the game in too much depth now with it being Monday evening as we record, but we will talk about maybe some of the wider problems um, at play in Liverpool's slow start to the season, which unfortunately is showing no signs of abating. So, Chloe, just some brief reflections on, on the result of performance and also in the interest of having a bit of optimism. What positives were you able to take from the game? Um, as for thoughts on the game, I didn't think we were awful, but I also didn't think we were good enough. It was one of those games where if you came out and won, you could say, yeah, you know, we had enough chances. But at the same time, Everton had chances to win the game as well. So it was it was one of them. Um, the, the positive I can take from it, I don't think it's a game thing. Like anything I witnessed in that individual game, but it's more the fact that we are somehow still only five points behind Manchester City and six points behind the leaders Arsenal at the top, um, and we play both of them twice a season. So if you win those those two games, there's your points back, um, and hopefully they'll drop points somewhere else. That that is the only positive I, I can really take from from it is is that somehow we've still got a chance with the league if we're really if we're being extremely hopeful um and it, it's just it, it is a bit of a miracle the fact that these teams especially city who we know so well capitalize on on our mistakes and we've had to be brilliant against them um somehow they're not running away with it just yet when i thought they'd be out of sight out of mind um as for things that can take from the game I thought we created quite a lot of chances and, and Pickford did well in goal. Um, but once again, I just didn't think we we were brilliant for 90 minutes. I thought we had spells where we were decent and spells where we weren't. Um, and that's not good enough to win a Premier League game anymore. You've got to be consistently good for at least 70, 75 minutes. And I don't think we were. I think we had spells of, of being good and then spells of being absolutely on the ropes. Do you know what? That's actually a really good way of looking at it in terms of how much of the game we actually played well for. Because like you, I thought the, the worst spells, I think especially probably the start of the second half where Liverpool were really good, but maybe only sort of 40 minutes of the game. You, you could say that the performance levels were, were there for 45 maybe. So only like half of it was, was acceptable in terms of the level that we need to be at. And then maybe the rest of it was... We were kind of trailing that a little bit. We'll talk about the wider picture, seeing as that's the kind of angle you've taken on it. It's interesting, isn't it? Five, only five points behind, despite dropping so many points already. Do you think the fact that Liverpool have struggled so much has almost hidden the fact that Man City haven't had a particularly amazing start either now? Because that's dropped points against, against Newcastle and Aston Villa. And obviously, all the focus has been on Haaland and the bucket load of goals he's scoring, but Maybe we're starting to see what some people said where, yes, Haaland can be someone who pushes for kind of record-breaking Premier League numbers. But at the same time, 
does he make City that much better? And also, when you look at that points difference, does that give you genuine hope? Or are you still really worried about Liverpool's capacity to put a run together that like they'll need to, as they've done in previous seasons? Um, I think Liverpool will still need to go on a run 100% because we're already six points behind. Saying that, Manchester City have Spurs this weekend, so one of them have to drop points. Um, that's where I'll start. One of them have to drop points come this weekend. Liverpool need to play better. That's our problem. We need to sort that out. And I think if we can start playing the Liverpool way and the way we've known we can play for the past two, three seasons, then I have absolutely no worries with us climbing back into into the, the game and into you know the league because Liverpool do, when they get their act together, can win 14 consecutive games. It's just the team that we've usually been up against can do that as well. <laughs> um, they thrive under pressure, Manchester City. And maybe maybe the fact that they've not had the pressure from Liverpool has maybe caused a lapse in concentration. I'm really not too sure. Um, they, they start still good in comparison to the fact that um, they're the second in the table and they don't really have to worry. I think, I think Arsenal at some point will drop off. I think they've been playing brilliantly, but like we saw against Manchester United, um, stupid errors and individual errors, and uh, they, they just cost them. And I think they, they'll do that more throughout the season. Um, as for Spurs, a really, really good good football team, and we expect them to be high up there near us. Um, we'll see what they're really like against, obviously, Manchester City this weekend. So I think, I think we've all been a little bit distracted that, City haven't capitalised as much as they should have done because dropping points against Newcastle and Aston Villa, Aston Villa especially when they're in the situation they are, I think Steven Gerrard loses that game and he's sacked pretty much. I, I, I don't care what team he comes up against, I assume he's sacked um, if he loses that. So it's very much a case of I'm surprised that they're not further past us and, and they have more points and it gives me a little bit of hope. Um, Erlen Haaland, he is replacing what what everyone's forgetting is they obviously they got rid of Raheem Sterling who did score goals. They got rid of Gabriel Jesus who scored goals. Erlen Haaland's just picking those goals up. He won't he won't add more to them in a way, but he'll most definitely get those goals that the little tappings and you know the the goal the other day where. Um, he, he arrives back staking the ball's unbelievable by Kevin De Bruyne but he's there to finish it off maybe Raheem Sterling misses that I'm not too sure um, and maybe you know they, they don't go 1-0 up in that game um, I, I think Erlen Haaland's just replacing the goals that everyone else is, is left is left behind um, and also he's, he's just a clinical striker instead of winning 4-1 they might win 5-1 or they might turn one of those draws into a big win um, if they can score late on he, he's just a goal threat and it's a good point you make, actually. I, I just checked there while you were talking. If you, if you combine Sterling and, and Jesus from last season, that accounts for, for 30 of Man City's goals. So, obviously, Haaland will probably be pushing on to, kind of towards 40. But you are right that they have actually lost something as well as bringing something in. And I completely agree on the sort of point about Villa, you know, and it being a real surprise. The, the level that, that Villa have been at, you know, they've been dreadful up to this point in the season and there really has been no sort of structure at all from them on the pitch. So I think people are expecting not only them to lose the game, but them to potentially get battered almost in the same manner that 
that Nottingham Forest did maybe. So was a surprising result. And I think you maybe got a point about the lapse in concentration. You, know, you mentioned Arsenal. And at the moment, they, they are the yardstick technically, but I don't think anyone expects them. I don't, think, I don't even think Arsenal fans expect them to be kind of in that conversation for all that much longer. And realistically, their fight is to be in the top four. So it is a bit of a strange situation for them now because you know they will regard Liverpool still, I think, as the main threat. But given that they're not immediately in the rearview mirror, maybe that does lead to a bit of sort of subconscious uh, relaxation. But just briefly, um, my thoughts on the derby before we move on. Um, the only thing I tweeted after the match was, because I couldn't really be bothered um, going into it in too much depth, I was like, it didn't feel to me at the time like devastating in the manner that maybe United did. Obviously, United was a loss. This was a draw, but Everton are a poor aside. But even still, I didn't have any sort of belief when I was watching it um, that we would score a goal, weirdly. I, I can't really explain why, because we were creating dangerous situations, but it just, I just didn't. I couldn't convince myself that we were going to win as I was watching it, even though yeah, I actually predicted beforehand that we would. I think that based on precedent, what we've seen is last season, the way Liverpool went to Goodison and Old Trafford and won by an aggregate score of, I think it was 9-1. That's maybe kind of changed proportions a little bit because historically we see Liverpool go there, go to go to those places and, and produce kind of a performance that's a shell of their, their usual selves. And there's a lot of draws in there. There's one goal defeats. There's some of the victories that we get there. You know, you think about uh, Sadio Mane's goal, for example. Last year, I think, was the, the first time we actually won there since then. So as much as that is a frustrating trend to have with the performances, it's like I'm I'm almost not that surprised um, to, to see the way Liverpool played and the kind of game that they ended up getting dragged into by Everton. So I think that result would have wouldn't have felt as bad as it did had we been able to hoover up the points elsewhere like we should have done against teams like Fulham and Crystal Palace uh, earlier in the season. But was there something else you want to say on that, Chloe? No, it was it was just that exact point. A nil nil shouldn't surprise absolutely anyone because we've won two of the last eleven, I think it is now. Um, so it's not like we were all expecting to like Liverpool can be the boss football club that they are and still draw nil nil away at Goodison Park. That's normal. But the problem is when you start losing to Fulham away in Crystal Palace at home, you need to pick up points everywhere else. And the games last season that you couldn't win, or you know, the, the games that you've historically not done well in under Jurgen Klopp, you now need to turn those draws into victories. So we're now gonna have to turn, you know, Spurs and Chelsea we couldn't win last season. We already have to turn one of those into a win because Man City were better than us by a point last season. So there's that. But then also now you're dropping points against, I don't want to say, you know, small teams, but but teams that you're expected to win against and should be winning against. You now have to pick those points up elsewhere and you have to beat some of the top six and you have to beat your rivals because you've got to, the, the emphasis is on picking up those points and you've got to do it under pressure. Yeah, I think it's like you talk about those games and it's like, points dropped but then maybe when you're playing the top side it does feel like points gained because you almost go into them and it's like the teams are so closely matched then that it almost feels like a bonus especially if you could you know beat Manchester City in at least one of the games definitely so just to wrap up the the derby talk in terms of some positives I think Van Dijk's getting back into form I thought he, he had a good game I thought the best player of Liverpool was Joe Gomez as well probably his 
best performance potentially since he returned from injury sort of last preseason. He's, he's, had a, he's had a couple of good games in there, but that was certainly more of the kind of Joe Gomez that I kind of recognise from his prime really uh, within this Liverpool side. But yeah, on, on the result, like the Liverpool teams that got 97, 99 points didn't win a Goodison. They, they both drew nil-nil, I think. So it's not particularly surprising in that context, but also like you say, Chloe um, n- narrows the margin for error even further. So you mentioned there, Chloe, about Liverpool's capacity to to maybe catch Manchester City and narrow that gap once they get their act together. So let's think a bit about how they might do that and why it hasn't happened up to this point. So you can talk about a lot of different things with this Liverpool team at the moment, things that aren't aren't working like, like they should be. But I want to focus in this episode on the attack because obviously Liverpool's goal scoring numbers this season look brilliant, you know, look perfectly fine above, above almost what you'd expect. But that's obviously heavily determined by the game against Bournemouth where we scored nine. If you take out take that out the equation, which maybe isn't entirely fair, but let's be honest, that is the easiest game you're going to have all season. It's only six goals in five matches. So why do you think, Chloe, Liverpool aren't really functioning at the moment as like an attacking force? I think I think we're trying to adapt by Darwin Nunes. Um, I think our wingers are far too far wide compared to where we usually would play them in comparison to if we had Jota in or if obviously Sadio Mane was up top. Um, or, you know, we've got our most lethal goal scorer so far wide that he's, he's usually having four chances at least a game on average. And he's averaging one or two. And when he needs at least two to score a goal, because, I mean, you mentioned that that Bournemouth game, he could have had three or four goals in that game and missed every single chance. So, and that's the only game we've really been able to get him fully involved in. He slightly got involved in the Fulham towards the end, um, but for a, a large majority of that, he was um, he, he was kept out. And I think I think it's all because of Darwin Nunes, and I don't think Jurgen Klopp's going to change it. I think Jurgen Klopp's going to say this is the way we're now going to play. This is the evolution of Liverpool Football Club. We might take a while to transition into this, but this is ultimately what we need to do. Um, and I, I don't know whether I agree with it or not because our most lethal and our most known goal scorer is is nowhere near um, the areas that we need for him to score. And the one chance that he had where we got him in the correct area, he hit the post in the last minute of the game. So if you would have got him in more situ- situations and scenarios like that, you know, he's had three, four, five shots maybe. And he, surely he puts one of them away. It's... it's um, I think it's a lot to do with Darwin Nunes attacking wise. I also think I think Darwin Nunes is getting in the right areas, but he's lacking quality in front of goal. I don't know whether it's a rush of blood to his head. I don't know whether he thinks he's being too pressurized or or whatever, but um he's getting in good areas and just slicing so many chances. I mean, the 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 one that he gets full contact on that he gets on target is an absolute worldy of a strike and Pickford tips it onto the bar and he, he he does the hard chance and gets the hard chance on target but an easy back post header he puts too far wide he's slicing things four or five yards away from the goal um and I think I think it's really good that he's in the correct areas and I don't want to get on his back 
he just needs to maybe have a bit more composure in those moments. Um, but but once again, he's got to settle into the team. Um, I, I also think we, we we lack creativity from uh, the midfield. And I think Harvey Elliott's probably been our most creative midfielder. And we are relying on a 19-year-old to do that in pretty much every game. Trent, who's our most influential player, just isn't good enough at the moment. And that's fine. We're, we're all allowed to say he's been brilliant for us. He's one of our best players. But in this moment, he's not playing to the standards that we need him to or that he's already set for himself. And when he's one of our most influential players attacking-wise, it is a problem because we struggle to to create goals elsewhere. Um, but like I said, I just I think the tactics or the, the formation the, the, was far too wide in, in the areas that we're usually close to or were known to be. Um, and I think that's just adapting to the new style that we're going to have to play. And I think Jürgen Klopp's not going to, he's not going to change it um, because I, I think he's very much stuck in his ways where he's like, yeah, this is this is going to be the evolution and we're going to have to stick with this. And I don't know whether um, that's going to benefit or not. Um, but, you know, we're getting Jota back, which hopefully will, will be really good for us. Um, and it's also a case of, Hopefully, with Thiago back in or Artur, they might be able to offer something different. I thought Carvalho, that midfield three, sure, exciting, enjoyed it, the the idea of it. But why on earth are you doing it in a Goodison, a, a, um, a Goodison Everton game away from home instead of like a Bournemouth at home? That's where I expect to see that midfield. I don't expect to see it Goodison away. Um, and we didn't really have the balance. We didn't give him the ball enough to be able to play his style of football. Um, and it, it was, you might as well have just had James Milner on because that was more a game for James Milner. It just was. Um, and then some of the the changes, and who am I to question Jürgen Klopp? Jürgen Klopp's absolutely boss. But some of the changes were a bit odd. I've got no idea why he puts Milner at right back. Um, and then he leaves Elliot with, with Fabinho. And Fabinho's head must have fell off because Harvey Elliott does not play that role. Um and and yeah, it was it was a case of we were we went really bold and really attacking, but we didn't use it to the best of our ability. We should have scored. We haven't. Pickford's made some worldy saves at the other end of the pitch, so is Allison. It was strange that because like you say it, it was a really attacking setup, but it almost because the balance wasn't quite right within that, then you couldn't really reap the rewards of it in terms of creating a high volume of chances and I want to definitely come back um, onto Trent and Salah in a sec just on Nunez there's I think a tweet which perfectly sums up what you were saying there um, from Josh Williams and he said he's making the hard chances look easy and the easy chances look hard at the moment because it's like you say I, I do think there is a lack of composure coming into play because of the pressure that he feels he's under pressure that he's heightened himself obviously um, with the red card, etc. And when he almost doesn't have the time to, to think about it too much, he, he's kind of releasing these ridiculously good strikes um, that are very nearly going in from kind of long distance or, or really tight angles. So that, that to me says the technique is there, which which is encouraging. And once you kind of have that composure and maybe that, that comes with sort of getting that, I mean, he has scored already for us, obviously, but you know, you feel like he needs almost another goal now to make to make a fresh start. Um, in light of what happened against Crystal Palace, um, I also think that the uh, 
the encouraging thing with Nunez is the volume of shots he's taking. You know, he's had 15 shots already and he's only played 176 minutes, which is ridiculous. And while still being unsustainable, it says to me that we are at least, we have at least got the supply, that supply line in place for them, which is far from guaranteed at such an early stage. But I'll bring you back in in a sec, Chloe, but I just want to ask you as well, you touched on two problems there really in terms of creating opportunities but also taking them in the case of uh, Darwin Nunez, for example. So so what's the bigger problem? Do you, do you think there's a, we're having enough opportunities and not taking them, or do you think that we're, we're creating so few that we're putting ourselves under a lot of pressure to take relatively few opportunities? It depends what A, you class as a proper opportunity, and also B, what game you look at. Because you look at Everton, and I think... We had enough chances there to score goals, but we've put them to central. I mean, aside from some really good saves by Pickford, a lot of them aren't in the corners. You know, Bobby Firmino could have had that hat-trick if he would have put the chances he had away, but he's put them far too close to the goalkeeper. Um, However, you look at Palace and maybe Fulham, even Newcastle to an extent, we really struggle to break these teams down. We struggle to get the opportunities. Um, I mean, Palace and Newcastle especially, we we really, really lacked creativity. And our best players were, were probably Harvey Elliott. And um I think I think it depends. We've had some see the Everton game, you can look at and say we've had some really decent chances there and we should be putting them away. If we do put them away, then no one's talking about the issue of goals, I don't think, for, for that specific game. But we haven't scored. And you look at Palace, we, we didn't do enough to win the game. We didn't do enough. We didn't create enough great chances. Um, saying that, once again, Darwin Nunes slices one in the first half. And then I think because he's trying too hard, he then gets the red card. I think I think he was just trying too hard in that moment. He needs to calm down um, and know that it's a bedding in period. If he just has a bit more calmness about him and doesn't let it get to him straight away when he realises his chances coming his way, he'll be able to slot it. He needs a, a clear mind to be able to do this because at Anfield or just wearing the badge, it is a lot of pressure and he needs to stop thinking about the pressure and just thinking about the opportunity in front of him. Um, but yeah, as as for the, the Newcastle game, once again, I don't think we create a lot. It's it's just Salah's far too wide. Diaz sometimes cuts in on the right, but that like that Man United game, he literally stuck to the to the wing and that was it. And we hardly created anything that day. Um, it, it is a bit like a roundabout. We we swing from creating quite a fair amount of chances against Everton and should be putting them away, but it either doesn't find its way to the boot of our most lethal striker or we're not putting it in the corner, we're not being clinical enough or it's someone slicing the ball because uh, for, for whatever reason. And then you're on the other hand where it's Man United, Palace and, um, and, and Newcastle where we're really struggling to A, break down a team and then B, finish the chances off we we, we we struggle to create them um and I, I think both of them are problems because first of all you need the, the chances to obviously score the goals so if you can't break a team and you can't get the chances then you're not going to get in the goals anyway um I feel like the chances as long as the players are getting in the, the right area 
and you're creating those chances you just need one tiny bit of luck to help you out so Pickford not getting his fingertips to that or the Luis Diaz shot instead of hitting the post and cannoning you know along the goal line if that just sneaks in and you get a bit of luck then you know that that's what you need I think we need to to keep creating the chances because at least we're getting in the right areas for these chances and we just need a bit of luck or someone to finish one off and hopefully more and more will come. Um, but if we're not creating chances, that's that's the big problem. I think you're right about, you know, Pickford was the man of the match in the derby, but also the perception of the performances was probably inflated by a lot of saves that were actually made too straightforward. For them, and yeah, it, it is a case of almost a fine margin. You know, we, we could be sitting here talking about one of the sort of great moments in Liverpool's modern history if, if Salah tucks that shot away, and it is just a fraction. But that that's the way it goes um, in the Premier League, and it almost reminds me with with Nunez um, and, and maybe one or two others at times of kind of that that season uh, behind closed doors where Liverpool ha- have a run where. They're really struggling to score, and there's a big goal drought. And it's like it, it really hammered home for me the importance of of not being in your head too much and operating on instinct. Um, when you're a forward in, in the penalty area, as opposed to to overthinking it. And, and I think you are right about about Nunez and, and the situation he's in, and and the pressure he feels, understandably at this point. But the key almost to to reducing the pressure is ignoring it in a strange way. But let's. Come on to a couple of the sort of individual issues that we might be having. We'll start with Salah, and you've already explained what you think the issue is there, so we won't really get back into that again. But are you confident that it is going to kind of click for him again? He's only scored two goals in his first six Prem matches, which by his standards isn't great. Do you have confidence that we're going to be able to hit on the system pretty soon where we can create a high volume of, of good chances for, for both Salah and Nunez? If we can get him in the right position, then yeah. But if he's touched, you know, if he's touched tight to that, to the white line, no. Because how is he influencing a game from the very right side of the wing? And he's put some balls in at times, but that's not where I want Salah. Salah scores 30 goals a season, you know, twenty high 20s in the Premier League. This is Mo Salah who's broken records and continues to break records from a right wing position. And the reason is, is because he cuts inside so much because his area, he finds himself in the box, in and around the edge. I've never seen him as wide as he has been at the start of this season. And he must have been told to do that because it's a clear tactical change. Otherwise, we'd be seeing the same Mo Salah that we've seen time and time again. So. I don't have a worry about him, his technique, his finishing. I'm more worried about the tactical side, about how we start getting him to influence the game from the position that we've got him in. Um, and it's it, you know, we've got a player, and 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 teams are going to highlight right. Well, if he's that touch tight, you know, if he's not causing us a worry on the inside, we don't need to double up against him. We can put one one man up against him. And Luis Diaz, who has a trademark shot of coming inside and whipping it, and we've already seen it numerous times, um, what we'll do is we'll just double up on him so he can't cut inside as well. And then they're both touch tight to the wing. And it's very much you're hoping that a great ball is going to be put in and Darwin Nunes can get on the end of it. Um, 
I don't worry about the quality of I, I don't worry about the quality of, of Nunes, I don't think. I just think he needs to have a calmness about him. Um I think once one goes in, I think he reminds me of Erling Haaland and I don't want to be too out there or anything. And he's obviously not Erling Haaland at this moment in time. But the movement reminds me of Erling Haaland. The body shape, I believe he can, you know, brush someone off and run in behind and, and slot it. I reckon, you know, he's he's really in behind a lot. He's he's doing he's having more touches than Erling Haaland. Um, but everything about me kind of reminds me of Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland just has the deadliness to have one chance. It find its way to him and him to slot it home or him be in the right position where where John Stones absolutely misses a ball and it somehow goes to Erling Haaland. He's in the only area he can be where there's no defenders picking him up. Um, and I do think Nunes just body type the way he plays his movement reminds me of Erling Haaland. It's just we need we need him to be to be a bit more calm and have a bit more composure. And once he starts getting one, two, three, maybe we see more of it. Um, and obviously the, the the wingers have not got a problem about in terms of technical ability. I'm just worried about the positioning. I think I agree with the comparison. Because it's like I said earlier, the, the volume of shots that he's having, and, and yes, some of them are kind of opportunities that are, are a little bit audacious. But even when you look at kind of, and it is very early, but when you look at the kind of expected goal volumes that he's having, you know, it's not actually too dissimilar to what Haaland's having at City. So that speaks very well, I think, to, to Nunez's movement. And there are some very, very positive signs with that. Like you say, it is just going to come down to does he have that same instinct? Um, the sort of killer instinct really in front of goal and and with Salah you know the few situations this season where I look at it and you've got Salah's kind of running right down that right flank and then you've got Trent's like underlapping him like coming into the penalty area with Elliot behind and it's like you can see it's deliberate and you can see how it could confuse the opposition but also I'd rather have Salah in the box than Trent um, and we'll come on to Trent now you mentioned before about him being out of form why do you think that is? Like, why do you think he's struggling? I I genuinely can't... I don't know whether it's... See, the thing is, we see him come inside a lot, which is absolutely fine. Um, he scores an incredible goal against Newcastle. We know he has that ability. I don't know what it... Could it be him being... You know, it's, maybe the players down the right flank are in his way a bit too much. Maybe he's not in the right areas. His quality is just not there. Um, the the quality that we know maybe I mean he keeps getting subbed off along with our our left back so maybe it's a, a it's a an idea that we overplayed them maybe last season and he's still trying to get back we truly don't know because he had COVID twice and even though he's still being brilliant he's never been the Trent Alexander Arnold we knew um and people have to have times he, he did struggle with with covid actually as well so it could be anything I'm, I'm it could be tactical it could be the fact that most sellers so far wide that it's very much there's there's no space for the overlap or there's a, an instance where because sellers wide and just you know having that area there's no one inside who's dragging the the left back inside so he can make a run down the right flank um, I just, whatever it is, um, it, it's clearly affected him. I thought he was better in the Bournemouth game, but so was everyone. I don't think we can look at that as as, as all hope. Um, 
but no doubt he'll get back to it. I think he just needs to find his rhythm again. Um, whatever's going wrong, whether it's mentally, whether um, we're all exhausted still from last season, who knows? Pretty much everyone's had a drop-off here, not just Trent. It's just because he's one of our best players and probably our most influential. We expect more of him because he's that good. I mean, Virgil van Dijk, I think, has been absolutely awful at the start of this season, and I'm going to be deadly honest. Um, and, and that's just how it is. So I, I think... Um, I don't know, I, I, I literally can't pinpoint it. I can't pinpoint what's up with this Liverpool side because I can look at tactics and I can look at not getting players in, into the game enough, but we still should be creative and, and still should be winning these games from elsewhere. It's not that there's just one single error. It's an entire team performance where we've not been excellent aside from that Bournemouth game for at least 70, 75 minutes of, of a game. It is very, it is very difficult to pinpoint it, and I agree that there have been a, a, quite a few star players who have underperformed, um, and they being one of them. I say Trent is the one who's probably struggled the most in my eyes. I think part of it is the fact that he doesn't. I, I kind of look at him, and he doesn't look like he's. I really don't want to say enjoying his football because that's just like a really big cliche, but he doesn't look like he's he's playing with sort of his usual freedom to me, and that kind of expressiveness and 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 that kind of spirit that he has where he just kind of wows you really and, and I also think from a tactical standpoint and maybe something a bit more tangible he does seem to be creating or trying to create chances from deeper areas and that for me maybe is a pivot towards the team being more direct and, and getting the ball up there quicker but doesn't really seem to be working for me and the amount of kind of basic mistakes he's making um, in possession is quite alarming as well so hopefully uh, it is just bad form, but it's going to be interesting really to see whether the the formula that, that Klopp is, is implementing now is the one that proves successful or whether he does decide that he's going to have to tweak that in some way. But we'll move on now to the upcoming game on Wednesday night away at Napoli in the Champions League. If you want to hear our kind of reaction to the draw, who we think is, is a threat to Liverpool in the wider sense in this competition, then episode 85 as long as Chris and Chloe discussed that. But we're just going to run through a few of the main sort of talking points before the game. Uh, Chloe, Cater and Oxley chamberlain both left out of the squad. Obviously, they're both injured at the moment, so that could just indicate that they're going to miss most of the group stages anyway, so there's not much point having them take up a squad space. But do you look at that, and is that almost a symbolic confirmation to you that neither of these players are going to get new contracts um, with their deals expiring at the end of the season because Liverpool must just be almost a little bit bored of it by by now with this uh, pair of players in particular. Well, if Liverpool aren't, I'm certainly. Um, I, I, you know what? I think Ox is a bit unlucky. I, he's been available for the majority of the last year and a half, at least, and we've just not played him. I mean, I remember in January when everyone went to the Afghan Nations, he was available, he did well for us. Um, he's just not the the one that we rely on the most. And in, in games where we've kind of integrated him into the team, he's not um, been as good as we all expected or took his chance He's still been available now and he looked really good through pre-season and then unfortunately gets an injury. Naby Keita's slightly different because I don't feel like he's been available for the last year and a half. Um, I feel like he comes in, he can do a job and then you're really excited because you think he's done well and then literally a day later 
he can he can do something absolutely outrageous and, and get injured by literally walking a dog. Um, I just I, I just don't know what's what, like. I I there's nothing they can do. They're just players that get injured quite easily, obviously. Um, and it is unfortunate for those. But sadly, you you just especially if you're going for the title, if you're in all four competitions like we were last season, you can't have players who are liabilities who literally aren't available for the majority of the season. Um, and the Naby Keita one, I just seem absolutely mad. Like there was there was rumours that he wanted to go back to the Bundesliga, he wanted to leave. The next thing is he's not gone and we all expect him to come back to football. Nothing's mentioned of him. Then someone finally asks where the hell he is. Oh, he's got injured. Then no one speaks about it again until it was literally just before the Everton game where someone had to ask Jürgen, you've not mentioned Naby Keita in your injury update. What's going on? And he said, oh, it's a muscle injury. Oops, was I not supposed to say that? It's a secret or something. And the club just had kept it a secret or whatever it was. Um, and he, he just, he'd, he'd accidentally let it slip when he was asked about it. I just find it very, very odd that that whole, like, at first I just thought, oh, maybe, like, you know, he's he actually does want to leave. But clearly... There's either I'm I'm not gonna speculate that there's been a falling out or anything. I'm assuming that there's an injury. Um and I'm not really surprised that those two are the injured ones. And we talk about them being left out of the squad. We also got to think that we're talking about January, which isn't far away. Um so it's not like they're out for the entirety of the season of the Champions League. It's a case of we play four games. Um, we, we play all the group stages before November. They're obviously not going to be back by that. Then there's a World Cup. And we're expecting them to come back after the World Cup. And that's an important point with this, obviously, is that the group stage is definitely compressed this year. So it's not necessarily that they'd be out for... Um the normal length of a Champions League group stage, which normally runs, I think, to the kind of second week of December or something like that. Um, and yeah, Ox, you are right, has been a little bit different maybe because I'm pretty sure he played, I think he played in the FA Cup against Forest last season and then was basically just an unused sub or out the squad altogether um, at times. So you feel you feel for him in, in, in some respects, but also, like I say, I, it doesn't bode very well at all. And it looks like the clock's just ticking for him, sadly, on his Liverpool career. Let's talk about the Champions League uh, in general a little bit before we come on to the lineups and predictions as usual. Chloe, do you think there's kind of any merit to, to the approach? And some fans will be thinking about this already because of how Liverpool have started slowly in the league and a lot of people obviously um, very pessimistic about Premier League chances with, with some of the points that we've dropped. But is there a, a way Liverpool can almost have a clean slate for the Champions League? Obviously, they reached the final last year, so... They'll be desperate. Klopp has already talked about, you know, booking the, the hotel tickets for um, Istanbul, booking the flights. Um, can Liverpool look at the Champions League as a separate entity? Could we maybe see a case where it is kind of their, their medicine in a way, playing in Europe and, and almost forgetting about the difficulties of the Premier League? Is there, any in, is there anything in that? Because I'm sure there will be some fans who, who are sort of adopting that mindset. 
Yeah, I'm one of those fans. Um, I'm I'm happy. I, I mean, let's let's look at Napoli though. Um, we really struggle to beat them at the best of times when we're really in form. So it's going to be a challenge. Uh, let's not lie. But I'm happy that we can turn our attention away from the league. Um, Champions League is a different style of football. You're coming up against teams that um can be really aggressive. Napoli, I'm I'm assuming will want to play football uh, against Liverpool, um, especially in their own stadium. So I'm looking at it of an escape and a distraction from the from the Premier League. We don't have to think about that because we've relatively done well in the Champions League, and yet we've you know we've not won it since 2019. But it was a case of um, we reached the final last year. We we didn't play horrifically bad. You know, we had the chances once again to win. We just couldn't break them down. We couldn't take the chances and they got the goal. Um, but it's it's a different style of football. It's under the lights at Anfield. It's a two-legged once you get through to the group stages. So even if you have one-off game somewhere, you can recover it elsewhere. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to be a nice distraction for the Reds. I agree. To be honest, I'm looking forward to, to this game. Um, I'm feeling quite good about it. You know, as you say, we obviously have struggled when we've gone there, but also what the Premier League has felt like a, a bit of a, a slog at the moment. And football generally hasn't been that enjoyable for Liverpool fans really um, since May, to be honest. But this does feel um, a little bit refreshing in some way. But, you know, hopefully we're not saying this now and then we're here on uh, Wednesday night. So, so, <laughs> so, so looking over another disappointing result. But speaking of the game, how do you think Klopp should line up? Obviously, starting to, Henderson's out, but we're starting to get a few players back now, so we might see one or two changes. So, um, what would you do, Chloe, if it was up to you? Um, it, it depends, really, where the, where the players are. I think you know your back five speaks for itself. I was a bit surprised that um, Costas didn't get Newcastle and Robertson got um, the the derby, but because he didn't start the derby, I'm going to put Robbo back in. Um, Arnold, Joe Gomez, Van Dijk and obviously Alisson. My midfield, I don't think you can drop Harvey Elliott. I don't know where Carvalho is at with his dead leg. Um, my midfield would be, and I, I also don't know whether Thiago is 100% fit to come back or just be on the bench. So I'd go with Artur. Um, I'd, I'd like to see what he's about. He wasn't risked for the derby for whatever reason. Um, maybe because someone knew he'd have one put on him and th- there was no need to risk it. Um, I'd, I'd put Artur, Fab and Harvey Elliott in there. Um, I can see uh, someone going with James Milner, but for me, I, I don't really want to see him in this game. Um, I don't think he did particularly well against Everton at any point, not at right back. Um, well, certainly not at right back. And he didn't really do great in midfield. So I'd like to see what Artur's about. Um, and my front three, my front three is hard because I'd like to see Jota back. I think Jota is our number one striker when he's fit. I just don't know how fit he is in this moment. Does he still need... I mean, the thing I worry about was, I remember we're on the break with with Jota and he, he were 2v1 with Conor Cody and Mo Salah and he just tries to lump a ball to Salah. And I've got no idea why he did it. If he runs another 10 yards and makes Conor Cody come over to him, it's a simple tap in for Salah. I'm assuming he was a bit worried about his body maybe not being able to do that um, because I've got no other reason why, why he decided to force it in that moment. Um, and his decision-making maybe wasn't as good as it should have been because um, he hasn't been playing. 
So, although I'd like to see Jota, I don't know where he's up to. So, I'll stick with Nunes, Salah and also Diaz. I'm very civil to you, to be fair. I think there might be a case for giving Matip a game. As much as I did kind of praise Gomez earlier, and I thought he was brilliant um, for, for the most part against Everson. I think just with it being the three games in a week territory and having the three available uh, centre-halves, um, it could be a good idea to play him. Midfield, um, Fabinho and Elliot, I think, would keep the places for me. I'd play Artur as well. It was weird with the derby because the club didn't think he was going to get clearance for the game. So I think he only took part in a very light training session. That's why he didn't feature at all. Bit strange, really. I, I would have thought you'd kind of put him in a position where he can at least um, come off the bench in some capacity. But the whole thing's been a little bit odd. And I'm, I'm with you on the front line. I'd like to see Jota start, but I don't think he's ready. And I don't think Thiago would be ready either, just at, the, at this stage. And, and maybe the club will kind of opt for more caution, especially with, with Jota, who has already had the recurrence of his injury. Um, so I think it'll be the same front line um, with definitely changes being made. Hopefully Thiago can play some part in the game. And obviously we're recording this as well on the Monday evening. Um, so we don't really know. We haven't had the sort of pre-match press conference yet, but this is the information we've got at the moment. Um, so I'd go for Salah, Nunez, Diaz, Jota, hopefully half an hour. Thiago, maybe 20 minutes, um, and that could put us in a decent position. Obviously, Wolves is on the Saturday at 3 o'clock, so a bit of a tight turnaround, so not ideal, but you what you want to make sure you protect them players. So, um, Chloe, did you have something else to say on that? Um, I was just coming th- through with uh, James Pierce has just said that Jordan Henderson is expected to be out for around three weeks. So um, we know that he won't he won't take part. I think it's up until um, up until maybe the international break, and hopefully Jordan Henderson will decide to just miss those. In I mean, it's the World Cup though, isn't it? Actually, thinking of it, oh, uh, it's whether it's he, he's trying to race back for for those games. It surely can't be, though, that the international break comes before the, the World Cup, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Um, and the, the last game for the international break is is Chelsea away um, on the 18th of September. So that would be sort of about two weeks from now. So I think it would probably be tight for them to play. But whether it could be one of them as well, where Southgate almost just wants them around and would give them maybe some sub minutes in, in the second game um, that they've got potentially. But yeah, you would have thought that from a sensible standpoint, it would be best to for him to not play those games. Well, that's, that's, I've, ju- I've just read the article and it says he's hopeful um, to be back for those games. But are they not just international friendlies? Like, what? why would you risk? Because not just are oh, you coming back to play for Liverpool, but then you will cup. I don't know why you'd risk to play two little friendlies and race to be back for it. If you're just not fit enough, don't just, just protect yourself. Yeah, they've got, um, just check now, they've got Nations League games against Italy and Germany, but, you know, those games are dressed up friendlies anyway. Henderson as well is the kind of player who I would have thought, I mean, he missed the squad in the summer, but Southgate at that time was was talking about how he didn't need to worry about that because it was just a mutual decision to give him a rest and he knows how important he is. So I don't necessarily think that it would cost him his place at the tournament, you know, barring kind of, um, a, a flurry of midfielders having an incredible run of form and he kind of is a shock commissioner from the squad but I think as a Liverpool captain he'd probably be safe in there anyway so I wouldn't really like him taking that risk but um, just to 
move it back onto Napoli and we'll finish off with our score predictions. It's like you said, Chloe, not a happy hunting ground for Liverpool in the past. Is it going to be third time lucky for us? Um, I'm hoping so. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. It was just because it was breaking news and obviously Jordan Henderson um, did suffer that injury. I'm going to go with, uh, I think it's going to be tight, 2-1, maybe 3-1 Liverpool. I'll go 2-1. I will go with 2-0 because, like I say, I'm feeling um, oddly optimistic in the circumstances. So, yeah, I, I reckon we'll start off with a win. Obviously, I think most people would agree it's the toughest fixture of the whole group stage as well. So, it's one of them where if you win, it definitely feels like a bonus. Obviously, Liverpool were 100% in the Champions League last season. But even if you if you draw, even if you lose, you feel like you've still got plenty of time and it definitely isn't the end of the world in terms of making up for it. But yeah, whatever the results, we'll be back at some point after that Napoli game to offer our reaction to that and preview the game at the weekend, which, like I said, is against Wolves. So in the meantime, if you enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star review on Spotify and a positive review on any other podcast platform. And yeah, like I say, you can expect to hear from us again later in the week, but until then, take care.